KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. I heard somebody say, he's here. So I rushed over there too. And as I made my way through the people, right in this circle of people all around him was Charlie Parker getting his horn out. I mean, it was just first, it was magic just seeing him like that. Welcome to My First Day. My name's Andrew Bracken. For this season of My First Day, we're looking at life-changing events, key moments in time that help shape us into who we ultimately become. Discovering an artist that we fully connect with can be life-altering, especially during our youth. It can help give us focus and to find a path for our future selves. This was the case for Charles McPherson when he first heard and later saw the legendary jazz saxophonist Charlie Parker, also known as Bird. It would have a profound impact on him and the trajectory of his life. Here's Charles McPherson with his story of My First Day. I was born in Joplin, Missouri, and uh, I stayed there up until I was nine years old. After that, I moved to Detroit uh, with my mom. I moved on a street uh, that eventually had a a lot to do with my musical life. Uh, On the street that I moved on, there was another young person my age, about nine, and we immediately connected as just play partners, you know. And uh, we both ended up getting into music and playing in the band, in the um, junior high band. Though Charles initially started playing a different instrument, he gravitated to the saxophone early on. So for a kid, what is it that attracts you to it? Well, definitely visually, I liked the way it looked. A gold, you know, shiny gold instrument. I liked the way it looked, which I liked the way it was shaped. The shape of the horn actually was interesting to me. How was this S, you know? And of course, the sound, which is the most important thing of all. It really spoke to me even as a little kid. It's very much like the human voice. The production of the sound is pretty much like what you do with your throat and your mouth and your tongue and your your vowel sounds and everything you do with your larynx and your throat basically is in play. So that, I like that because that, that, that brings about almost like an organic kinship with you and in, in the instrument. While both Charles and his childhood friend Lonnie became increasingly enamored with jazz, progressive jazz or bebop more specifically, an older kid at school told him about a saxophone player by the name of Charlie Parker. A while later, while hanging out at the neighborhood candy store, he spotted Charlie Parker's name on the jukebox. I put my money in and I heard Bird. And the first thing I heard of Charlie Parker was um, a series of uh, records that he made called South of the Border. Uh, and uh, this particular tune was Tico Tico. And that was it. When I heard that, it was like, it was like somebody hit me in the head with a 
it, it, it was that that was it. For the first time, it was just like, bam! It was like, this is the way, when you do this, this is how it's supposed to sound. For whatever reason, I, un I understood it immediately. I didn't need to be propagandized. It, it spoke to me right away, emotionally and <laughs> intellectually, if you can use the term for to describe what some 13, 14-year-old kid is, is uh, how he's thinking about whatever. But um, I, I understood it. It made melodic uh, sense to me. It made uh, the, the logic in it, even though it's a complex music and, and, and uh, some people have a hard time with it, but I, I understood it immediately. Right away, I saw the linear logic of it even though I didn't know what it was, but I, 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 it made sense to me in a linear way how things were connected, how musical phrases were connected. This, to me, is one thing that sets him apart from everybody else, is this beautiful sense of unfolding logic that flows and just flawless and just perfect phrasing. I mean, I could hear that. It was like, I got to learn how to do that. That was the moment in time that I knew I wanted to play this kind of music. This was the guy I wanted to listen to. So I wanted to learn everything about that kind of music and everything uh, about all of the people who played that music. And then you saw him play. And then I saw him play. If hearing Bird for the first time didn't leave enough of an impression, getting to see him play live only further cemented the bond. Yeah, I knew he was coming to town. He was going to be at a, at a ballroom in Detroit, Madison Ballroom, you know, in April or whatever. It's like, whoa, I'm going to see Charlie Parker. So that was it. I couldn't wait for that. And sure enough, I go there, and he's to be there a weekend, a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Didn't show up Friday. So people were like, I hope he shows up. So I'm there on a Saturday, room full of people, hundreds, just a lot of people there. Some people there just to dance. They don't even know who Charlie Parker is and could care less. But all the dudes, all, most of the guys there knew who Charlie Parker was, and they, they were there for that. And so we're just kind of standing around waiting for him. Is he going to show or not? And all of a sudden, I see throngs of people rushing over to a certain part of the room. I heard somebody say, he's here. So I rushed over there too. And as I made my way through the people, right in this circle of people all around him was Charlie Parker getting his horn out. I mean, it was just first, it was magic just seeing him like that with these people around him. And he got his horn out right on the floor, not on the bandstand, right on the floor. And he gave up quick, what would it be? <laughs> uh, it would be like a, a, a Tommy gun of notes coming out of the way. He just warmed the horn up. You know, he just went from the bottom to the top fast as hell and just, you know, to warm up and say, okay, I'm ready to go. And that's what he did. He just did that, you know, and then went on the bandstand. And so now everybody is, everybody that's there to hear Charlie Parker is running up to the bandstand. And then the other people are there waiting for him to play so they can dance. And then he played. 
and he played mindful of that people are dancing. So he had to he had to water down his material. You couldn't play fast or a bunch of, you know, and not too long. He had to play temples that weren't too fast so people could dance. So he was mindful of that. And he played, it was just a spectacular. I've never heard anything like it. I've never heard anything like it since. It's like listening to a person who's eloquent, uh, like a speaker who's eloquent and has perfect sentences, perfect grammar, perfect syntax. You know, it's bam, it's there. It's just, you know, it's the right speed, it's the right inflation, all that stuff is in play. So instead of words, I'm talking about notes. I just never heard technique like that. And, you know, it was, it was a real virtuoso. And so I talked to him a lot. You know, I, I'm like 14, 15. So this is before the show? or No, all, but I, you know, when he'd take a break, you know, and I would talk, I'd kind of follow him around, ask him questions. Cool. Yeah, he was approachable. He never was rude. He a- answered everything. But he, he, still, he still went about whatever he wanted to do. Sometimes he would answer things pretty, pretty much, and then some things he would he would almost be pretty abstract. He would recite a, a poem or something to answer the question, which I didn't understand that kind of stuff at all. Charlie Parker is almost bigger than life. Just this magnetic, uh, you could cut it with a knife, whatever. Uh, this uh, mag- animal magnetism, Charlie Parker, you could cut it with a knife. If he's in a room, the whole room is different just because he's there. Such a regal, kingly manner about him. That's all around how he talks. And so that that's kind of when you around somebody like that. It's, it's, it's very commanding. It's like being around Orson Welles or somebody, you know what I mean? thinking at 13 what you want to do with your life, but you're like... Oh, I knew I wanted to do that. You did? So yeah, that was I, that. Yeah, that was... I knew I didn't want to do it. I mean, in terms of what do you want to be, I wanted to be that. And uh, I've, I've done it. I mean, that's... I knew then, and I'm. this is what I wanted to do, and I'm still doing it. And since then, you know, for me, the whole thing is develop your own voice. I mean, after somebody that powerful is the influence, from that point on, I mean, you get influence, you learn. And then the scramble is on for you to get your own voice. And that's a hard one. In order for Charles to truly find his own voice, though, he felt he needed to put some limits on the influence of his musical idol. Well, you know, even when I was enamored of Charlie Parker as a much younger, I never wanted to carbon copy him. I never learned solos note for note. I might learn a a lick or two, but I never learned whole solos. I I knew to stay away from that like that. Kind of missing the point, sort of? Yeah, I I didn't want to. I just wanted just enough information to, to help me and to be inspired but I didn't want to carbon copy the guy. I knew, you know, Xerox him. So I knew that even at 21, 22. I just listened to him a lot. 
and by osmosis, you know, you certain things by osmosis you you absorb, you know. But so there was almost always a corner in my mind to say, I don't want to do it exactly like him. I don't want this tune to sound exactly like that. So I always kind of tried to have that anyway. And that's the beginnings of having your own voice. And then as I got older, just because you are older, that starts to snowball a little more. And you do become a little bit more of who you are. Who Charles became was a renowned saxophonist in his own right. After coming up in the vibrant Detroit jazz scene in the 1950s, with piano player Barry Harris as a key mentor, Charles and his old childhood friend, trumpeter Lonnie Hillier, eventually moved to New York City together. There they ended up both joining the band of legendary jazz bassist and composer Charles Mingus. Despite Mingus's reputation for being difficult and unpredictable, McPherson maintained a pretty good relationship with him and stayed with the band for about 12 years. He then went on to lead his own band as well as to play and record with a number of jazz greats continuing through today, though jazz has changed through the decades. You know, it's not like I'm uh, some household commodity, I mean, name-wise, but people know who I am, at least who are into jazz. And I came along at a time where that maybe jazz might have been maybe more more, more part of the scene. You know, I, I came along kind of when that was happening, so what little celebrity I might have was earned a while back, and I've stayed. <clears throat> so through the years, you're going to know me on some level if you listen to jazz music, which is only a very small percentage of people even listen to. What do you think jazz is? I mean, are you optimistic about jazz? Well, I'm optimistic that it will always be part of the global fabric of music. There will always be jazz. There will always be some young person in Norway or Lithuania that hears a jazz record and wants to do that. Or China or Taiwan or Korea. It's always going to be. But I don't know if it will ever be a mass media popular form. I don't know. That All I can say, the only hopeful thing is I think it will always be. There will always be classical music. There will always be people who write classic books or, or, or who paint, you know, great art. It's always going to be. But will it ever be a popular, you know, where the, the guy across the street... Like everybody knows? No, like they would uh, Bruce Springsteen or somebody or Lady Gaga? I don't think so. It is what it is. But I think it will always be. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear Charles' story of his first gig playing with Charles Mingus, you can find that on our Instagram, at MyFirstDayStories. Twitter and Facebook will have it too, at MyFirstDayStories. It's a pretty funny story of a jazz legend. To learn more about Charles McPherson's life and work, you can find him on the web at charlesmcpherson.com. Our email is myfirstdaystories at gmail.com. If you like the show, leaving a good review or just telling your friends goes a long way for us. My First Day is produced by me, Andrew Bracken, with additional help from Melissa Diaz. Music by Charles McPherson. 
Additional music by Chris Curtis. Support for this program comes from the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund, supporting new ideas and programs for San Diego. For KPBS, Melanie Drogseth is Programming Coordinator, Nate John is Innovation Specialist, Lisa Jane Morissette is Operations Manager, Jill Linder is Programming Manager, and John Decker is Director of Programming. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota. Let's go places.